Welcome to an inspirational Sunday message from Found Church. We hope you will be challenged and encouraged while listening to this message. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our church website, foundchurch.co.uk, or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Father, we thank you for your presence among us and for the good things you've already done in our midst today. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll just speak through me, and this Word will be real and living, uh, and it will minister to everyone who listens to it, tunes in online, uh, is here in person, whatever. Come, Holy Spirit, and speak through me, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're looking at our series of Jesus in the Upper Room, and I would invite you to turn with me to John chapter 13. Just going to read a couple of verses from John 13 and reading from verse 18. So, John 13, verse 18. And uh, it says, I am not referring to all of you, that's in relation to betrayal. I know those I have chosen. But this is so, this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am He. I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he'd said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. Amen and may God bless the reading of His Word. I don't know what you think about that reading. It's quite a remarkable reading. Jesus says, I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you'll believe that I am He. I tell you the truth, and and before that, um, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the Scripture. That that Jesus' life is being governed by the Scriptures, that, that God's in control of His life. God's spoken things. He's spoken things. He's speaking things. And it's, I, I think it's amazing that God could tell David, who would prophesy a thousand years before, that somebody's going to betray Jesus. I think that's quite phenomenal. That, that I, the, the wonder of prophecy is an amazing thing to me. I, 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 I'm sure there's people studied it a lot more than I have, but in the little bits that I have studied, I find it quite remarkable. I find it, it's, it's comforting, scary, challenging, all at the same time that, that, that these things are written in the Bible before they happen. It, it's, Luke said the same, Acts 16. Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in his ministry. So, you're, you're seeing people writing down things that God has put in their hearts, and, uh, and it's coming to pass. It's absolutely amazing. I think the Bible's an amazing book. The Bible thinks that too, and it makes that very point. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And, and so God wants to thoroughly equip you and he wants to thoroughly equip me for life. I mean, that's not partial equipment. That's thoroughly equipped. God has got stuff 
to give to us that helps us to do life. Because life isn't always easy. But God's given us his scriptures to help us. And I think that's amazing. I have been reading some articles on the Talking Jesus survey that has taken place. I think it was last year or the year before. And uh, a lot of people have been unpacking it at different uh, conferences and that I've been at. But a, a recent survey, one of the things that was highlighted in the survey was that around 40% of UK adults say the Bible is the inspired Word of God. And that, that should encourage us and inspire us. That there are people out there, you hear all the negatives of, of church attendance and, and adherence going down, but there's still 40% of people in the UK are saying that they believe the Bible is the Word of God, and, and it is. And, and 2 Peter 1 and 19, it says, And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you'll do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place, because it illuminates our path. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the picture there in the original language is of like a sailing ship being carried along by, by the, the, the wind. It, 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 it fills its sails. And so the, the, the wind of the Spirit filled the sails of the authors of the, of the Bible and the prophetic words, and they, and they wrote as they were inspired by God. So this book is no ordinary book. It's not man's word, it's God's word, and we elevate it here. And when we read God's word, it's an interesting phenomena that happens that we read God's word, and God's word actually reads us. So you read stuff and you think, ah, Michael, you need to, need to change your attitude here. You need, things need to change here. You need to be a bit different. You need to, to change your approach in that situation. That's what happens when we read the Bible with an open heart. Jesus thought it was pretty amazing too. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. That's, that's phenomenal. That his words will never, ever pass away. Phenomenal. Jesus said that. And then he said in Luke 16, 17, it is easier for heaven and earth to disappear. That's big stuff. Than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. And that means a little, a little uh, um, stroke that, that's in the Hebrew language. And, and, and he says, that's not going to, to disappear. It's going to outlast heaven and earth. God's word is eternal. It's enduring. It's pretty great. And uh, while debating with the religious leaders of the day, Jesus would refer back to the Scriptures. So Jesus himself, which is really important for us to, to, to grasp, authenticated the Scriptures. So God in the flesh authenticated the Scriptures. And this is important when people want to undermine the Scriptures and, and almost say that they know better than the Scriptures, that when God came in the flesh, they affirmed the Scriptures. And so it's really, really important. Jesus said in John 10, 35, the Scripture cannot be broken. Cannot be broken. And when debating with the religious leaders, he pointed back uh, to what was written. Some Pharisees, it says in Matthew 19, came to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and any, every reason? So how did Jesus respond to that? He says, haven't you read? Haven't you read? So he's pointing them back to the, to the, the, the Genesis passage. That at the beginning, the Creator made them feel, made them feel, made them male and female. So there's, there's no gender confusion there. 
pointing us back to Genesis. And he says, he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So in debating, Jesus goes back to the Old Testament, to the creation ordinance, to what, what's said right there at the, at the beginning. Over and over again, Jesus spoke about the Scriptures being fulfilled. In other words, God said it, and then God did it. In the parable of the tenants, and Jesus used it to illustrate his own rejection. He says, in Mark 12, 10, haven't you read the Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. So over and over again, Jesus would refer back to what has been written. In his first sermon, when he, when he preached in Luke 4.18 in the synagogue, and he said, that in Nazareth, he said, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because He anointed me. He's quoting from Isaiah 61. The scroll had been handed to him, and, and he opens it up, and he, and he goes on to say, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So what was said about him hundreds of years before, he said, now it's fulfilled and you're here. It's remarkable. These things are absolutely remarkable. I'm the anointed one, he's saying. And in the incident in John's gospel, like cleansing the temple at like the start of his ministry, and uh, it, it says, after he drove the money changers and, and, and all the people that were profiteering out, and, and so that his house could be a house of prayer that was intended to be, it says, his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. And then they said, whose authority, by whose authority do you do this? And Jesus says, that the authority, I've got authority to lay down my life. I've authority to destroy this temple. By the temple, he meant his, his own body. And, and then later on, the disciples didn't understand that. But we read in John's gospel that after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So all through the Bible, we, we, we see this, referring back to the Scriptures, referring back to the Old Testament Scriptures to say, that was fulfilled. Jesus underlining His ministry by saying, I've come to fulfill what was said there uh, in the Old Testament. There's many, many references by the Lord Jesus to fulfilled uh, Scripture. And so when we come to this passage here, that uh, we read a few moments ago, we see that, that Jesus is saying that the Bible said that Judas would betray me. And so, so it raises a question in our heads. I mean, did Judas have a choice? Was, was Judas predestined to be a betrayer? Did he have a choice? As a, as a question that you could legitimately ask. I think, I think that's the wrong answer to think that Judas was predestined to, to be a traitor. I, I, I see it better and reconcile it in my mind by recognizing that God, who was before time and outside of time, and because he's the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, knew that when time began, he knew in advance what Judas would do. So he's telling us, what Judas did out of his own free will, and he actually betrayed the Lord Jesus. And so other religious leaders came to Jesus, and they asked questions. Does not the Scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family? John 7 and 41. The, the, the Bible 
prophesied that they would cast lots for the garments of the Lord Jesus. John 19, 24, this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. And exactly the same regarding the, the bones of the Lord Jesus not being broken, just like the Passover lamb. He fulfilled in detail the Passover lamb, which pointed to him. And, and his bones were not broken. Remember, we're going to break the legs, which he would do to cause the person that's on the cross to suffer more and not be able to breathe and ultimately die quicker. And, and not one of his bones were broken. And the Bible said that. This phenomenal stuff. And, they, and then after the resurrection, it says, they, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So this pattern goes on all through the Bible. The gospel writers, Paul, Peter, all speak about this phenomenon of, of God-fulfilling Scripture. It's a remarkable book. Scripture should always be central in a, a central part of our worship. In fact, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, until I come, devote yourself to the pro- public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. It should be central in our preaching. We do not want to preach the thoughts of men. We do not want to preach speculation. We want to preach the Word of God. So Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, preach the Word. Be faithful. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct. Rebuke and encourage. The Bible's got many facets to it. And, and we're not to preach the opinions of men. Or follow the prevailing wind of culture. Colin made reference to that when he was sharing a few moments ago. We're called to preach the Word. I've recently read a book called The Return of the Gods by a man called Jonathan Kahn. And he basically makes the point that, that uh, a lot of the prevailing winds that are blowing in our culture today is actually people following the same gods, the ancient gods, and the practices of the ancient gods that they followed uh, hundreds of years ago. So he says, the, the, the outworking of some of the philosophies of these people, the Assyrian gods, the Babylonian gods, uh, uh, he says, it's, it, it's, it's no change today. He says, it, it, you'll, you'll find this back in this. Uh, uh, and so the, 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 way, the winds of culture change. When I worked in a bank and studied for my bank exams, one of the subjects to study was foreign business, foreign exchange. And, uh, and it was all underpinned by what they called the Exchange Control Act of 1947. And anything you wanted to do with foreign currency, if you were going on holidays, if you were making a foreign currency payment and stuff, it all came under an EC, an exchange control number. So you would put on EC 78 or something like that. I forget them now. But, but uh, everything had to be done under this Exchange Control Act of 1947. In fact, there was a lady in Glasgow, in, in the Foreign Office in, in Glasgow, in the Bank of Scotland, and, and, and all that she did was, was foreign business. And if you had a question and you phoned her up, she would answer all your questions. She's a remarkable lady. She's a bit like my wife. They'd, they'd answer all your questions. And, she would, and, and so you would phone her up and she would tell you the answers to all kinds of stuff to do with foreign business. And, and uh, we'd learn all these things and then be able to write essays about them and answer questions in our exams. And then when it was at Bible college, some years later, a, a new conservative government came in. And you know what they did? They scrapped the Exchange Control Act. So all that was happening and all that people had to do under that act, it was no longer there. It was changed. 
And, and it was, what was also important then was now no longer... And, and culture's a bit like that. And, and, and one time, you'll be having to follow this and this rules and that and the next thing and the next thing. And then the, the, the next government comes in or they introduce laws or whatever and it changes again. And then it changes again. And then they say we're following the science and then you wonder what's happened to the, the science. And it's changed. And, and, but God's Word remains secure. It has not changed. It's, it's the same down through generations. And, and many of the trends and the fads, they're, they're hip, they're cool, they're supposed to be scientific, and, and they, they come and they go. But God's Word is there. It's, a, it's, a, it's an anchor in our storm. It's a light to our paths in the times of darkness. I want to tell you today, God's Word is better than the Word of man at any time. And what, what I preach today and what whoever preaches in this, in this pulpit, if it's not based on this, you can't build your life on it. This is what we build our lives upon. God says that His thoughts and His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts in Isaiah 55. And I bow to this. I don't sit over this book and think, well, I'll take this bit or that bit, I'll leave this bit, I'll leave that bit. I, this book is the authority. It's the, it's, it's the Word of God. It should be central in our counseling. And as a Bible college, we did counseling. <clears throat> and one of the major uh, themes of counseling, the major philosophies of counseling that we did was neuthetic counseling, which is, which is really confrontational counseling. But it's not confrontational in the sense that, that, that you're, 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 you come with a, like an angry confrontational attitude. It's, it's actually, well, what's going on in your world or what's going on in my world? And what does the Bible say? In fact, there's some of Neil T. Anderson's books at the back there. And it's a similar thing on, on freedom in Christ. And, and what does the Bible say? And am I aligning my thoughts, my practices with what the, with what the Bible says? And that's why it's called confrontation counseling, because we're confronting ourselves or the people that we're talking to. Well, what does the Bible say in this situation? And, 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 I, and I found that really, really helpful. I, I'm sure it's not perfected, but, but it's great to, to counsel people with the Word of God. And uh, it should be central in our living and our decision-making. The Word of God's central in our preaching. It's central in our counseling. It's central in our, our living and our decision-making. We should be constantly asking, what does the Bible say? In your situation, whatever you're doing, you should be asking, what does the Bible say? What does God want me to do? What is the Word of God in this situation? And that's how the early church lived. And I'm reading through Augustine's book, City of God, in, in, in my wee room. You know what I mean? I'll not expand. So it was written 1,500 years ago. And I was reading the other day, it's not just at this point necessary to expound in copious detail what is taught about these passions in the divine scriptures, which contain the syllabus of instruction for Christians. So 500 years after Christ, 1,500 years ago, like they, they were saying, this scripture is the syllabus of instruction. This is our guidebook for life. This is our manual. I remember having manuals for cars and Haynes manuals. Open that, I know you can still get them. They'll probably be all be on, online now. But, but uh, I, I remember looking, how do you change the brakes? How do you do this? Not that I was particularly competent in many of these things, but uh, there were things that it helped with. What does Emmanuel say? And that's what we should be saying in life. What does Emmanuel say? So when Paul's writing to, to, 
to Timothy, and he's speaking about how you pay workers in the church. He goes back to the Old Testament, and he takes a principle, do not muzzle an ox when it is, 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 is uh, treading out the corn, uh, threshing the grain. And, and when he's speaking about an accusation, it goes back to the book of Leviticus, don't entertain an accusation unless it's brought by two people. And, and, and so, the, to find God's will, to find out how to do stuff, they're relating back to what the Old Testament would say, what the Bible says. That's what we should be doing as well. And I quoted a, a, a phrase that, that, that I warmed to. And I quoted this a couple of weeks ago, and it was by Rick Warren. He says, if God says don't do that in the Bible, He will never tell you yes through a feeling. It doesn't matter how good the feeling is. When you listen to your feelings instead of God's Word, you're walking straight into a trap. So, so it's not about our feelings, it's about facts. It's about the Bible. It's about the Bible being the Word of God. And one of the remarkable things about the Bible is this whole thing about prophecy. That God, who is outside of time, no, then puts things into people's lives and they write down what He's saying about it. It's, it's amazing. You see, this world is not going around like, like without a rudder. It's not, it's not hopeless and helpless. It may look like that at times. From our perspective, I remember being in, in, in uh, Austria a number of years ago, speaking at a conference for, for uh, missions. And I was up a mountain. And, uh, you know, w- w- it was beautiful. And you would look out in the morning, and you couldn't see the village because, because there was cloud. And, and if, I suppose if you were in the, down below in the village and looking up, you couldn't see the sky because of cloud. But we were above the clouds. And you've been in an airplane, it's exactly the same. It's a different view, isn't it? Yeah, it's a different view. What you see is very, very different. And there's a divine master plan. God is in control. He sees the whole thing. And so, in Ephesians 1 and 11, in Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. God is in control of everything. And, and so, we see that through the Bible. God, God is celebrated as being in control. In the book of Revelation, in Acts 17, from one man He made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and He determined the time set for them, the exact places where they should, should live. Daniel said at communion that there was something in the, in the Falkirk Herald that was saying, when, if you were allowed to be alive at any period in time, when would you like to be alive? And I, and I said to the, the, the first congregation, like, well, the answer is simple. It's now. Because of God's plan was it would be alive now. There's no use saying, I wish I lived in the Middle Ages. Or I wish I lived in the time of uh, William Wallace or whatever. It's our day and it's our opportunity now. God's sovereign. And, and, and Job celebrates that and Proverbs celebrates that. And uh, God says it through the prophet Isaiah 46, I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come, I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. God is sovereign over all. Even though we don't understand things, we've got to trust Him. And, and, and God makes His plans, man makes His plans, but God's overall purpose will stand. So when, when the disciples were brought before the Sanhedrin, Gamaliel said, he, he said, if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fall. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You'll only find yourself fighting against God. And so they understood the sovereignty of God. They understood this. And, and so let me put it another way. When Brexit happened, or when COVID happened, or, or when Nicola Sturgeon resigned, 
You know, the angels didn't awaken up God in the morning. He never slumbers or sleeps. They said, Father, God, what's happening? Look, Nicholas Sturge just resigned. What are we going to do in Scotland? What's, what's going to happen to Scotland now? Or, 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 or there's a new government? Or what's going on, whatever? It's God, God is, is not in a panic. God knows. And He uses even man's wrath to please Him. He can turn things completely around about. He's Alpha and Omega. He's outside of time. It all began with Him. And so He tells us what's going to happen in advance. Prophecy is massive. In the Bible, one-third of the Bible is prophecy. And, and people look on now, the liberal scholars look on and say, ah, but really, these, this is what they say, these people didn't really write the Bible. Like, they didn't really write, write the prophecies. So Isaiah didn't write it. You see, what, you see, you've got to understand, the liberal scholars say, there was actually three Isaiahs. That's not what the Bible says, but that's what they say. So there was first Isaiah, and then there's Deutero Isaiah, and then there's Trito Isaiah. It's three different types of Isaiahs. And so, so they didn't actually prophesy. They just looked back and said, well, that's what happened. But they made you think it was prophecy. But when I open my Bible and look at what the Bible says about the last days, about wars and rumors of wars and famines and all kinds of stuff, I, I actually believe the Bible is the most up-to-date book ever. And I read these things, and I say, that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. And men will be lovers of pleasure and lovers of self and, and, and all these things. I think, wow, that's just like opening tomorrow's newspaper. It's just like what I see happening today. The, 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 the Bible is, it speaks about today's days. And, and I thought, wow, that's amazing. So it can't, be, it can't be using the same logical argument that the liberal scholars use and say, well, somebody wrote that after the event because it's written before the event and I'm reading it now. And you're reading it now. So it's incredible what you read there. And, and so true prophecy origin, originates with God. The Bible speaks about false prophecies, but, but it speaks about the importance of prophecy and how God doesn't do anything without revealing it to his prophets. And when it comes to Christmas time, People have listed as many as 18 specific prophecies regarding the birth of Jesus. It's phenomenal. And the fact that he was, that he was born in Bethlehem is phenomenal. And, and people say to get that right, the possibility of the chance fulfillment of that is 1 in 10 to the power 5. But even greater than that is, 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 a, is an illustration I've used many, many times before that Josh McDowell has in his book. He says there's over 300 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah that were fulfilled by the life of Jesus. But he says, if you only take eight of them, eight of 300, that's not a lot. If you take eight of 300, the prophecies of the odds of all of these things coming to pass, he says, would be one in 10 to the the 17th power. I'm not a math student, but those of you who are, well, but you can get something of this. He says, we can't picture what this means, but he says, suppose you took the state of Texas, which is of course huge, and spread silver dollars two feet deep across the whole state, then marked just one of them and buried it somewhere in the state, and if he chose one person, blindfolded him, told them to pick just one silver dollar, his chances of getting the marked one on his first try would be that odds. One and ten to the seventeenth power. I hope I'm communicating something to us today of the power of God's word. And the, and and how important it is for our lives. So as the band come in closing, let me ask you a question. How central is the word of God in our lives? 
if God thought it was so important to write down these things for us, if Jesus thought it was so accurate and wonderful and mind-boggling that he said, even Judas' betrayal is mentioned here. The question is, do we read it? Do we revere it? Do we believe it? Do we build our lives upon it? You know, I mentioned, uh, like at the end of last year, that I believe that we're living in the last days. But how does that translate? What's our response to that? Well, the Bible says that we should be... uh, purifying ourselves even as He is pure, being holy because He is holy, watching, waiting, looking for that return of the Lord Jesus. I'm always asking people, what's, what's going on in your world? What's the situation? Is that, do you see any signs of revival? Is there anything exciting happening? I spoke to our local ministers the other, the other month at, 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 down in, in Chira Grange, and, and I was speaking about the importance of God's Word, and, and I said, there was a time when I was sitting where you guys are sitting here just now in girls. And, and, uh, and somebody spoke along the lines of different things that I've been saying today and challenged me and said, have you ever read the Bible through cover to cover? How can, how can you know what you're speaking about if you, if you don't read what God's got to say about him? And it was a real challenge to me. So I began to read God's Word every day. And, and now, I, now I've read it through multiple times. I'm reading it through multiple translations. At this moment in time, I'm, I'm reading... Usually four chapters, four passages a day, not four chapters, four passages, and thinking about them day in, day out. Do that. I get up early to do it. I get up early on a Sunday morning. I get up early every day and read God's Word and write down stuff that God sent me and then send out a text. If you told me years ago that I would be able to do that, that, that I, I would have freaked out. But God's enabled me by His grace to, to do that. And, and I do that because it's important. Dan and I yesterday were just talking about discipline. And Proverbs is a great book to read. A chapter every day will make you wise. The Bible says it will give you wisdom in our lives. So I want to encourage us today to to interface more with the Word of God. uh, uh, To to have a greater love and appreciation uh, for the Word of God. Uh, If you're here today and you're listening online and you've never given your life to Jesus, I hope this blows your mind. That the God that we are seeking to introduce you to that you could have a personal relationship with, has got the whole world ordered. He's got all plan. He's got a plan and purpose for your life. It's phenomenal. Phenomenal. That he's interested in you and he's interested in me. And just like I prophesied earlier on in this service about, about, uh, about not being shaken and stuff like that, there's times in my life when other people have prophesied or interpreted an utterance in tongues. And you know what they've done? They've interpreted the very scenarios in the very words that I've been speaking and, and, and to myself, to the Lord, or to friends of my family. Because God's phenomenal. And His Word's phenomenal. And He's an amazing God. And, and I want to introduce you to Him today. Politicians make false promises. Things come and things go. It's not, not all false, but, but largely a lot of things do not come to pass. What God said in His Word, well, I want to tell you today, if you've got a promise, hold on to it. Stand upon it. If God's spoken into your life different things, you stand upon that and, and know what God's plan and purpose is for your life. If you are bereft at this moment in time, you don't know which way to go, where to turn, then dig into God's Word and get something from it because, because He will bring things alive. And, and you can stand upon these amazing things. So as we close in prayer and bow our heads, let me ask you, if you're watching online, if you've never given your life to Jesus, or if you're here in person, why don't you do that today? 
Why don't you pray a prayer like, Father God, I've, I've just come to a new appreciation of you to understand your sovereignty, your greatness, your majesty, that my life is not worthless, that there's a point to my life, that you've created me for a purpose. And I'm sorry that I've tried to find that purpose by myself or through others, but I thank you that you've shown me, Lord, that you've got a plan and purpose for my life. And I fit into the big jigsaw of the whole world that you have. Please come into my life. Please forgive me for my sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins. I come to you now. Please come into my life. Forgive all my sins, all my failures, all my faults, and make me a new person. In Jesus' name. If you're here in person and you've prayed that prayer for the first time and meant it. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Please feel free to contact us through our website, foundchurch.co.uk or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.